I'm John White, and this is Solid Ground. Cheers, presidential election in the US uh, involving Donald J. Trump, the incumbent, against Joe Biden, his Democratic Party opponent and rival, is arguably the most important in US political history since Abraham Lincoln was first elected as president in 1861, which was a catalyst for the Civil War. Now, whether you think the saving of the Union was a good thing or not, certainly the crushing of the Confederacy was a good thing, the slave states. However, the values of the Confederacy have been returned to mainstream political discourse in the US during Trump's tenure. We've had gangs of neo-fascists coming out in Charlottesville to try and protect Confederate monuments uh, in the face of a campaign, a righteous campaign to have them removed given what they represent. We've seen people killed by police officers. That's been ramped up. That, of course, predates Trump, but that has been ramped up to a degree that nobody could ever have envisaged. And yet Trump had stood firmly on the side of the quote-unquote Blue Lives Matter uh, as opposed to Black Lives Matter, the victims of police violence. This will, this culminated in the murder of George Floyd by Minneapolis police officer Jarek Chauvin in Minneapolis May this year, which was the spark for a ramping up of street activities on the part of young black people, black and brown, and their white comrades, a demanding racial justice. This country is mired in racial injustice. It's not one iota from the time that Martin Luther King was making his I Have a Dream speech in front of the uh, the Washington Monument in 1963. And Trump has been a catalyst for racial division in the country. He has said that he is not going to guarantee that he will step down if he is uh, voted uh, out uh, in November. He is making a, a play of the mainstream media being part of some lurid conspiracy in conjunction with the deep, deep, deep state to topple his presidency. He has made a pitch towards the militia mentality that is a psychosis and is the uh, undergirds white supremacy in America. Trump himself is an open racist, I have no doubt of the fact. So for all these issues and more, and these reasons and more, this is by far the most important US presidential election. However, the Democratic Party candidate, Joe Biden, is a disaster. I think Joe Biden is the worst possible candidate at the most important time in American political history in our lifetime. Uh, the fact that the Democrats keep throwing up these establishment candidates, Hillary Clinton, she was a disaster in 2016, Joe Biden, when there were other candidates, Bernie Sanders with his transformational program of wealth redistribution, of taking on the corporations, reigning in Wall Street, uh, of free healthcare, single-payer healthcare. The, I mean, the fact that the richest country in the world does not have a healthcare system tells you everything you need to know about what ails America, especially in the midst of a global pandemic. 214,000 deaths in climbing out of over 7 million cases in the richest country in the world, the country that sanctions other countries. Well, under sanction, Venezuela, from 74,000 cases, has registered to date just 21 deaths. It is proof positive, surely, that socialism is life, capitalism is death. I'm delighted to be joined on this special episode of Solid Ground by a good friend of mine, Ahmed Caballo, 
one of the most estimable and accomplished thinkers, activists and broadcasters and journalists out there today. Ahmed, am I overstating the importance of this year's US presidential election? I mean, am I guilty of lapsing into hyperbole in terms of my remarks, or do you agree? I do agree, but the problem is, is it's not important in the sense of who wins will have a dramatic effect on the lives of everyday Americans, African-Americans, Hispanics. I think whoever wins, the, the, the change in the lives of many will be negligible. But it is important in a sense of the fact that these are the two candidates that the United States empire has to choose with. The fact of the matter is the most powerful man in the world would be decided by Joe Biden and Donald Trump is in itself an indictment of the US political system. Joe Biden forgets the lyrics of the Declaration of Independence, doesn't seem to know which state he's in when he's giving his speeches. And then we've got Donald Trump, who's a whole different kettle of fish. He recommends drinking bleach, um, posing UV lights to, to counter the COVID-19 pandemic, and then tweets ridiculous, absurd things every day. I mean, just in the last week, he's tweeted that his blood is the vaccine. The, these men are not in a position to lead any country, let alone a country that has such significance on world affairs. It's significant in terms of foreign policy. It's significant in terms of symbolism. Now, the symbolism in both cases, in my eyes, is worrying. If Donald Trump wins, then it is no doubt a, a some sort of affirmation of white supremacy, of the, 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 the rise of kind of the, the far right and the so-called activists that we see in Europe and the United States has no doubt been emboldened by Donald Trump. And, and if he wins, it is no, it, it, no doubt kind of empowers that more because they believe the politics that they espouse is also supported by the most powerful man in the world. If Donald, if Joe Biden wins, then it's a, it, it, the symbolism is neoliberal agenda continued. The democratic establishment has won once again by sidelining anything that represents anything remotely progressive. And for much of the flyover states, what they're called the Rust Belt, it's, it's more of the same. And what we will see when Joe Biden does win, because I think the polls this time indicate um, that he will win. I know some people will say the polls last time indicated Hillary Clinton, but I think the, the politics on the ground is a little bit different this time with the fact that, that Donald Trump, instead of being the challenger to the status quo, in some ways as the incumbent, um, has less of the kind of wow factor that he had last time. Plus, everyone knows the incumbent president suffers greatly when there's an economic recession or the economy is doing bad and the economy is doing terribly at the moment in the United States. I think Joe Biden will win. And, and, and what we will see from Joe Biden win is Donald Trump or Trumpism coming back better, more sophisticated in the next four years, eight years, 12 years, 16 years, whenever that will be, it will come back. And that politics, the identity politics that Donald Trump represents, the identity politics of the United States is changing for the worse with the demographic shift, with more Hispanics, more black people, more black people and Hispanics in, 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 the, in the public eye. That is what Trumpism represents, a pushback against that, a pushback against so-called political correctness. And that will come back 
more sophisticated, more polished. Well, there's there's a lot to unpack in that in that very eloquent um, uh, answer, uh, Ahmed. The thing about the candidates, I draw parallels with the Roman Empire and this American Empire, and you're right to use the word empire. And we need to discuss the significance of this election in global terms, because I don't think it is as significant as it used to be, given the rise of China as a counterweight, a counter hegemonic force in the world, which has been accelerated in the context of COVID. But this is like Nero against Claudius, two of the worst emperors that the Roman Empire ever had, and it's symptomatic of US imperial decline. And Joe Biden is part of that decline. The fact that the best candidate they could put up was a 77-year-old uh, a man with a, a checkered career as a senator whose claim to fame was his, uh, Obama's vice president. I think he was in that role essentially because he was a yes man. Mm. Um, but I think Trump's pushing back uh, against the rise in the assertion by black and brown people of their rights. This new generation of black and brown uh, people are not willing to know that as maybe previous generations were. And that is what's being packaged as a threat to the status quo. But the status quo involves their oppression, their lack of rights, their lack of basic dignity, their lack of being deemed human beings in the in the, in the gun sites of police officers who act as white militia uh, groups, the police, these police departments throughout the US. I lived in the US for a number of years, and I can tell you that I got more opportunities, even though I was from Scotland, than black people who were born in that country because of the fact that I had white skin. I was walking into jobs that, that, that black people would not get. That's just mm. a fact. Yeah. So there's this, there's the, 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 the history of slavery, of the black codes, of the Klan, of Jim Crow, has yet to be properly addressed. Yeah. And I think the problem also lies within the black community itself because some black leaders, and especially church leaders, they keep funneling black support to the Democratic Party in every election. And I think until the black community is able to break out of that straitjacket of automatically voting as a community for Joe Biden or staying at home because they're so they're, they're quite rightly uninspired by any candidate and a non-vote I've always argued is is a, a political statement in itself. Mm. I think that progress will never be made in America. Nothing approximating to a civilized society, equality, and a, a consciousness that 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 transcends race and embraces class. Mm. Am I, am I touching on something you think is relevant to, to this to this issue? Yeah, I mean, Malcolm X touched on this quite eloquently. He said, he was talking in the 1960s at the time, but he says, if you look at the white vote, it is generally quite split between a Democrat and a Republican. And if the black mass could vote on, on, on one way or the other, then they have huge political power in this country. Yeah. But they need to present their agenda and say, this is what you'll give us. Yeah. This is what we'll give you for our vote. And I've not seen that happen. I mean, I've been politically engaged for the last 10, 15 years. I can't remember that happening. It definitely didn't happen under Barack Hussein Obama, who was the first black president. In fact, he gave the other communities, the LGBT community, for example, they gave them their demands. They said, we want you to support same-sex marriage. He supported it. And they and they and they voted on mass for him. What did the what did the African American community demand of their African American president apart from the fact that he looked like them? Apart yeah. from the fact that that they the, the a black family would be seen on the White House. Apart from the symbolism, did he offer anything? But the but 
Frederick Douglass, who is the famous African-American um, abolitionist, said, power concedes nothing without demand. Never mm. had, never will. And, and, and that, that was true in the 19th century, and it's just as true today. And I think you're right to, to focus not on the, the politicians so much, but on the leadership. And I think we have parallels here in, with Jeremy Corbyn. In the, in the UK, we were so happy to see Jeremy Corbyn elected as the leader of a, essentially a centrist imperialist party. No pressure was put on from the left. The, there was no pressure put on the left. All the pressure was put on the right. Okay. So what we saw, what we saw with Jeremy Corbyn is a tug, constantly being tugged to the right because the right were tugging. That's right. We didn't, we didn't apply the pressure that is needed. No matter the, what you think of any politician. The movement failed. The movement failed because it was support Jeremy at all costs. Whatever he did, whatever mistakes he might have made, and he did make mistakes, some quite significant ones. But if you criticised Jeremy, you were seen as some sort of traitor. Yeah. And, and that's yeah. a massive mistake. And, yeah. and the dynamic between the leadership and the movement always has to be tense. There has to yeah. be a, a creative tension there in order to keep the leadership on the correct path. Because a political office, including leader of the opposition, that can change you if you don't, if you're not careful. And rather than you shaping the office, you're shaped by the office and you start behaving in a way you think is uh, politically correct in terms of that office and that position and that importance. And you all the symbolism and the iconography, you're in the parliament, you're in these big offices, you're in these grand buildings, you go to these events, like this, you go to the cenotaph on Remembrance Day and so on, you've got to behave accordingly. And that can actually interfere with your radicalism if you're a radical. And it yeah. can de-radicalise you. Yeah. And so you're absolutely correct in, in how you're saying that, that the institutions of state are not there to be changed, they're there to prevent change. And when they're threatened, then the reality of the state, the guns of the state, the force of the state is brought to bear to crush anyone who dares threaten the status quo. Yeah. And I think that's what this election is about. It's not about changing the status quo. Trump, 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 is, Trump is actually mining the truth of America. America defines itself by words such as liberty and democracy. It's not. It's defined by white supremacy. And so the, Trump's crime in the eyes of the American establishment is he's pulled off the mask. Yeah. And Biden's job is to put the mask back on. Yeah. yeah. To say that, you know, the warm words about inclusion, about opportunity for all, and so on and so forth. I'll give you a personal example, because as I say, I lived in the States for a number of years, seven years in total. I suffered a mild heart attack uh, just three weeks ago here in the UK. And called 999, emergencies for, for an ambulance. The ambulance was there within, I'd say, 10 minutes. I got treated at the scene. I was rushed into the Royal Infirmary of Edinburgh here, which is where the cardiology unit is. I went to a &E, I was given more treatment, AKG. I was given a blood, uh, a blood was taken to test to see if I'd had a heart attack. I was on a gurney. I was being attended to by nurses and doctors and so on. Then I was taken up to the cardiology ward. Um, I was fed and watered there for three days. I was given ultimate, uh, many different kinds of drugs, treatments and so forth. And then I was taken for an angiogram. Then I was released after it was it was diagnosed and I was given appropriate medication and so forth. All of that must have cost thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds. All of that dedication to just one person, me, somebody who is, in the scheme of things, an obscure individual. If that happened to me in the States, I would have been fucked. There's no other word. I would, the, the first thing they would have reached for would have been my wallet, not my pulse. And yeah. that's the plight of millions and millions of Americans. And it's beyond me that even on that issue, 
Bernie Sanders is seen out with the pale, out with the Overton's window of acceptable political debate. My God, socialised healthcare! Oh my God, that's a that's an affront to freedom. As if healthcare is something that you can is about freedom. The freedom is to be healthy. You can't be free unless you're healthy. And the, the and it's it's this swamp of false consciousness, and that's what the mainstream media is is accused of and should be indicted for is in sowing false consciousness to persuade people in America and we get here because we see it in the context of Brexit that this is the best of all possible worlds that we should accept homelessness that we should accept poverty as just natural that we should ex accept this uh, low, low, low level of public services crumbling infrastructure these things are all just natural that's how it should be even though we live in the richest countries in the world is breaking out of this false consciousness that it has to be the target of a movement that understands the issue and is in grip with reality and understands the concrete concrete steps that need to be taken in order to try and move us out of this reality. And someone who I deeply admire, and I think you do too in American politics, is Cornel West. Yeah. I mean, this man, when he speaks, he speaks with the authority of somebody who understands the world in all its grim and wondrous complexity. Why is there not a Cornel West standing uh, as a representative of black America in electoral politics? What is it that, 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 that debars these people, that stops these people from becoming engaged in the political process? I don't blame them. He is engaged, but he doesn't command a following because he was advocating for Bernie Sanders. Yeah. But the black community overwhelmingly is, is, was behind Clinton in 2016. And yeah. she's she's the wife of the man that brought in the, the omnibus crime bill, mass yeah. incarceration, and she, yeah. she she actually stumped for that in the 1990s alongside her husband, which has yeah. had a disproportionate impact on black communities, but yet they still support Biden, they still support the Democratic Party. Yeah, and Biden, so I think Biden brags about being the author of the crime bill, so Bill Clinton brought it in, but it was actually Joe Biden that was one of the key people behind it, and, and, and he sees this as an accomplishment. So it's like, I think Albert Einstein says, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again yeah. and expecting different results. Yeah. But, but it, it, it comes down to a fundamental problem that has existed in the kind of consciousness or the, the, the so-called conscious community in, in the United States um, about whether it's integration or revolution. Do we want to reform the systems and do we want to reform the system so that there's more black people on the Forbes list? There's more black yeah. people hosting TV shows? Yeah. Or do we want to tear down a system fundamentally and start again? Assimilation think, or change or transformation? Yeah, assimilation or transformation. And I think what we've seen right now is in, in the past, the, the transform transformative type of groups and leaders were on the forefront of the of the of the, of the of the black community, and they were allowed space to talk on TV shows. Malcolm X um, went to Smevik, just outside Birmingham. He did, he did tours, um, spoke at Oxford University, and obviously the Black Panther Party, which is probably the most famous, yes, the most transformative group of them all. But now there are these groups, but because they've been marginalised so much, um, the Black Agenda Report. Is a good group that I follow, and and they've been, but they're so marginalised by the mainstream. They're not, they're not allowed a voice apart from on alternative news outlets, which are not seen in the United States, such as Press TV and others. Um, because of that, 
people are not allowed to hear their message and therefore be convinced by their arguments. So what we get is kind of rappers like Killer Mike, who are now who who was for Bernie Sanders, is now telling everyone that what we need to do to transform society in the United States is get out and vote and vote for Joe Biden. Um, and because these are the figures that are promoted and are doing the kind of circuit, then it has a trickle down effect where the black community thinks that the way to improve their standing in the world is to get rid of Donald Trump, not to under, not understanding that their problems in the United States existed not only just before Donald Trump came into the office, but before Donald Trump was even alive. And actually, their problems will continue to persist while the system remains in place. And a fundamental problem is the lack of international analysis. So yeah. we mentioned the Black Panther Party. The Black Panther Party were in Korea, in Algeria, making a, a, a alliances with other people that are fighting the US capitalist system, but from a different perspective or from a different um, um, battlefield. And, and Malcolm X famously said, to understand the problems in Mississippi, you have to have an understanding of what's going on in the Congo. And what we're seeing right now, even though we're seeing social media make things easier to understand what's going on around the world, we're seeing an even more introvert African-American community that focus narrowly on, quote unquote, their class interest in the United States and how to climb up that ladder. And I think the... The, the the entertainment industry is responsible for it. Well, the... that that's a sorry, that's a key point. Um, again, a very eloquent uh, answer and analysis. Um, when you talk about uh, the 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 goal just to being get rid of Trump and seeing a black face in in the White House and so on, that's because of the culture of celebrity that holds such sway in America, and that's seeped into the country's politics, whereby people will be satisfied for living vicariously through the success of others. So mm. a black person living in a hovel or in a ghetto or in a projects in LA or New York or Chicago, with crime-ridden parts of the, the country, but they see Obama and Michelle Obama at all these award shows and so on, it gives them a sense of, oh, that's, you know, that's, that's my success and mm. it's not your success. Yeah, that's the reasons for your unsuccess. Whatever yeah. you, however you want to define success, and let's be clear, I don't define by success by having millions of dollars in the bank. I yeah. define success by living in a society that everyone has enough to to live a decent life of dignity and security. Um, but the Black Panther Party, they saw themselves as part of a global anti-colonial struggle, and they saw black people in America as victims of internal domestic colonialism. And that analysis holds sway. I've just actually been reading the works of Hugh Newton, who's one of the founders of the Black Party, along with Bobby Seale. Tremendous analysis in the 60s oh. about the role of black people, about the role of white America in terms of forging this 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 empire that, that's rooted in white supremacy. But he, the, you're right, they were they 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 took a, a deep interest. They were vested in struggles that were taking place in Cuba, Algeria, uh, with Ben Bella and all the rest of it. Uh, the the anti-colonial struggle that was taking place in Vietnam. They were also uh, heavily influenced by what was going on in Ireland at the time, and so these were internationalists. Mm. And you're right, because America is such an insular society, and people living there think that they live in the centre of the world. Yeah. They, 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 that that produces an information ghetto. And they yeah. don't understand, for example, how China's dealt with COVID. Yeah. Trump calls it the China virus, which obviously is playing to this racial politics that he is weaponized in terms of trying to restore his fortunes in Washington. But China 
out of 94,000, just over 92,000 cases has recorded 4,500 deaths. The most populous country in the world, that's where the, the, the virus emanated from, in Wuhan, Hubei province. They went on a six-week total lockdown starting from January 23rd. They warned the world, by the way, that this was coming down the track. Because of a sense of exceptionalism and racism that 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 has engulfed Britain, engulfed British society and British cultural values and American, we thought it's not going to happen to us. That, that, that kind of thing happens to people in China and Iran. These are dirty countries. Viruses have occurred there. They don't occur here. Well, guess what? We've suffered the worst by population death, death toll from this virus to date. China got on top of it because they deploy the directing potential of their government with the Chinese Communist Party, which is 90 million members strong. This is right. not a small marginal group. They were right. That was mobilized. And they've saved countless lives because of their level of social organization and the importance and priority they place on planning and cooperation. We live under the cult of individualism. Yeah. These free market values that we have unfortunately internalized because we have to this is the reality that we live in but that's this cult of individualism in the midst of a pandemic has morphed into a cult of death and you even have a movement of people who refuse to believe that the lethality of the virus that the measure the common sense measures that are we're being asked to undertake wearing a mask in a supermarket socially distancing agreeing to leave your details in places where you go to congregate socially for track and trace and so on because they don't want to believe it's happening. And this is because of this cult of individualism. You don't see this conspiracy theory lunacy in China or the global south. I mentioned Venezuela. You've got experts. You've been on the ground in Venezuela. Talk about the level of social organization that you saw in Venezuela in the midst of this attempt to over to topple the democratic elected government led by Nicolas Maduro uh, under the auspices of the Trump administration last year. Yeah, I'll get to Venezuela in a second. But I just thought something that you said was quite interesting about the contrast between China and United Kingdom. And I think there's a couple of reasons for it. So if you look at the the how people's lives have changed in China from the 1970s till now, and how people's lives have changed in the West from the 1970s till now, the contrast couldn't be starker. In the 19, from the 1970s to now, it's undoubtable, from the Thatcher years and so on, it's undoubtable that people's living conditions, people's, the, the, the wealth disparity, the every single social measure that you could think of has got worse for people in the United, United Kingdom through a process of austerity, through neoliberalism, etc. While in China, they've seen poverty reduction, illiteracy rates almost yeah. slashed, slashed by, by, by levels that we could never even imagine. And so therefore, there's a trust that the government has their best interest at heart yeah. when 91 million people are somehow associated with the government that's 91 million families as well yeah. that's a big that's a big net of people yeah. that have a direct stake in in and see how the government operates and think that actually what they're doing is overall for our, for our, for the interests of us well in the united kingdom um it, we've we've talked a lot about this off air we can get frustrated at the conspiracy theories and the way that but it's, it's understandable that, that, but it's that, but it's understandable because the the lack of trust in their government and and how their government does their government have the best if we were to do a poll do you think the ruling government have your best interest in heart at heart i mean yeah a symptom of the problems that you've articulated the growing inequality and grinding poverty 
uh, culminating in the, the 10 years during which working people were nailed to the cross of austerity, not for any economic reason, but for ideological reasons, using the 2008 crash as a pretext to try and redistribute wealth from the poorest to the richest. However, in the midst of COVID-19, conspiracy theorists, whether they live in America or whether they live in the UK, seem to think this is only happening to them. I do understand and I share the, the deep distrust of our governments because they operate on the interests of prioritising the, the, the banks and the, the financial sector and big business. That's who they operate in the interests of primarily rather than the people. Whereas China, Venezuela, Cuba uh, uh, is, is a different it's a different dynamic altogether. But I don't take my lead in terms of how I, I absorb my information on COVID from my government. I take it from the Chinese government. I take it from the Venezuelan government. Mm. I take it from the Cuban government. And the idea that they're all part of some lurid conspiracy in conjunction with the WHO <laughs> and the WF and Bill Gates yeah. is, is risible. Yeah. But it's more than risible, it's dangerous in the context of a virus because you're endangering the health of other people. Yeah, of and course. this goes back to the values of Thatcher are being so internalised that she's done her job so well that you have people who identify on the left who are more up in arms about having to wear a piece of cloth for 20 minutes in a supermarket than they are today about homelessness and poverty and racial injustice. Yeah. And Trump, going back to America, Trump is actually, he's associating himself with this have yeah. you heard of, is it Quanon? Yes, this, yes. This, yeah. About the Trump saving saving the people from the paedophiles of yeah. the establishment and so the on. Satanic, the satanic paedophiles of the establishment, which links Jeffrey Epstein um, and, and Prince Andrew and the, Dem and the Democrat Party and Pizzagate and Hillary Clinton and all this other stuff. Yeah. And when he was questioned about it, he gave a very elusive answer, yeah. which, which, which was purposefully ambiguous for the sake of not not, um, not sidelining or marginalising the people that he's hoping to get support of. Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, the, we're, in the age of... It, it, it's so ridiculous, a conspiracy theory, because the term to conspire means to plan with multiple elements. You've got to think of the amount of different people and organisations from around the world in places which are politically on the polar opposite sides of the spectrum. Antagonistic to one another, yeah. Yeah, it just doesn't, it just doesn't make any sense. But unless, but I guess this is the African-American um, point is kind of a microcosm of a larger point about class. Yeah. Because what we said about the lack of leaders in the african-american community advocating a, a a perspective that people can get on board on well that issue is is manifest tenfold for the working class especially yeah. in the in 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 countries where they're, they're they seem to have quote-unquote certain privileges and i think what what we saw with brexit and trump is the working class have understood their class interest but have taken kind of a reactionary approach yeah, it's, come, it's come from the right anti-establishment right. right. we understand that we have certain privileges being in london being in washington and we will do anything to prevent the peasant class obtaining those privileges yeah or or for our privileges to be relegated to their to, to, to a similar status to them and i think it's a very clever kind of approach by the ruling class. 
to keep stripping away the rights of the working class people in the in, in in the countries in which they reside but by being able to do that by saying but it could be worse you could be a pole yeah you could be a romanian yeah or you could be a mexican yeah there's so division there's so division amongst people who have got far more than that unites them than divides them and that's always been the age-old struggle for people on the left such as yourself and myself to try and bridge and unfortunately in this time of brexit and trump you see element factions of the left who've actually submitted to that narrative and they've joined forces with the right because they think that's the way to reach the hearts and minds of the working class. And that's a big mistake. You must always t you must always confront the white working class with their own racism, even if it means forfeiting, forfeiting their support in the short term in the interest of a long term, longer term goal. Because you, if you if you are uh, 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 confirmed in the rightness of your arguments and there can never be any debate about the, the racial justice and what side you're on, then you must hold to that argument, no matter the resistance, because ultimately, without principles, then you're just a, a cog spinning in the air, disconnected from any other cog, and you're what they call, what what Lenin described Buchanan as soft wax. Anybody, the last person that sits on them leaves an impression, and we've <laughs> seen that we've seen that recent times uh, in our country. But back to Trump, um, I think Trump understands America more than Joe Biden and his liberal friends do. I really do. Again, I lived there, but I lived in the West Coast, which is an island of progressive politics, progressive ideas as is the East Coast, but it's the flyover states that you mentioned, the Deep South, the Midwest, that is the heart of America. And Trump put out a very interesting tweet, and unconsciously, uh, he, he he defined America far more than Biden's windy rhetoric. He gave a second Gettysburg address recently on, on, on the problem of division and so on, trying to obviously mimic Abraham Lincoln, who gave that famous address there, I think, in 1863 after that seismic battle. But Trump said, Joe Biden is against oil, guns and religion and he said that as if it was a bad thing <laughs> that defines america more than the constitution in in the midwest in these states they love the religion they worship their guns and they nurse their hate like newborn baby like newborn babies because they have to feel that they're better than somebody else regardless right. of their own powerless condition and it's the frontier spirit it's a militia mentality it's the it's the inbuilt suspicion of federal authority of any government. That is the malaise that is defining America's decline as we speak. China, built on foundations of social solidarity, of social organization, of social duties and obligation, is the rising coming power. And this is seen in China's increasing influence, first regionally and now more significantly globally, in the midst of COVID-19. It is China's response to COVID-19 which proves the validity of its system and proves the invalidity of the American and British free market system. Because if you can't protect the public from a virus, then what can you protect the public from? You don't believe in something called the public. Yeah. And that's what you've seen in these two polities. And so until there is a broadening of the information outlets so that people can see what's going on in China and get and receive an honest analysis and appraisal in the mainstream, they will always be closed to the reality of China and they'll be left with the caricature of China that's been proffered by Trump and by the liberal establishment about China being the same. Don't forget, it was Barack Obama that made that infamous pivot to Asia speech in 2011. Yeah. He's the first one that identified China as a threat to Americans' imperial interests. And yeah. we go back to Obama. As you said earlier, Trump 
the problems that Trump is causing were, pre, were, were, were caused in many respects by Obama. But Obama and his ilk paved the way for Trump. Yeah. Because these neoliberal policies made life even harder and worse for working class people. And it was the right that filled that vacuum of anti-establishment response. If you remember, Trump talked about he was going to he's going to repatriate manufacturing jobs to the Rust Belt and so on. All this rhetoric appealed, but he did it on the base of make America great again really means make white America great again. Yeah. Yeah. So how 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 again it goes back to how do we break through this duopoly in this in, in this in, in, in the States in, in order to arrive at something approximating that approximates to the real interests of working people? black, brown, and white. Can this racial divide ever be bridged in America? Because from where I'm sitting right now, it seems very unlikely, given the preponderance of police violence against black people, lack of, I mean, Black Lives Matter has been good, but it, it seems more amorphous. It's not as organized as the Black Panther Party was. Not, It doesn't have as sharp an analysis, I don't think, at its head, as Malcolm X was articulating. And don't forget also, just quickly, MLK, towards his death, he and Malcolm X were converging in their political yeah. analysis. Yeah. MLK was a revolutionary thinker at the time of his death. Of course. And he and, and you mentioned the speech in 1963. One thing that's forgotten about that speech is that he came with concrete demands. Yes. He said, we're not going to march on Washington for the sake of marching. We're coming to get our check. And he was talking about reparations. Yes. Um, and, 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 and again... That kind of language is just completely missing. Even yes. Bernie Sanders says that reparations wasn't something that he thought would help the African-American community. So even the most radical elements of the United States don't see that as a solution. When you said about the guns, the oil and the... and the, was, It reminded me of, of that film Mississippi Burning. I don't yes. know if you've seen it. And yes. there's, the, there's the Gene Hackman character and he's... And he's trying to explain to the Northern FBI agent what it's really like in the South. And he gives this kind of this story about his father and how his father essentially burnt the, 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 the mule of an African-American man. And then when the next day where his son realized what he did, he kind of looked at him and the father looked him square in the eye and said, son, if you don't have more than a nigger, then what do you have? Mm -hmm. And I think that was such a, a a poignant part of that film because it really spoke to the essence of the settler colonial project any settler colonial project wherever you are in the world wherever there's been some sort of settler colonialism whether it's in the north of ireland whether it's been in south africa whether it's been in the united states there's always a fear by the settler race of, of retribution of retribution right. that that the crimes that they committed was somehow be 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 committed against them it's a projection of guilt we see this in israel vis-a-vis -vis the palestinians they yeah. feel that we've got to keep them down because if we give them any any freedom they'll come looking for us because what we've done to them has been so horrid and so wicked and so cruel yeah you're right it's the mentality of the prison guard exactly exactly yeah. if we don't if we don't make sure this key is this 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 cage is locked up they're gonna if we don't if we're not so strong in imprisoning these inmates they're going to take over the cells and they're going to have us hanging by the ceiling. And this is being a part of the American story from the very beginning. And, and that's why stories of Nat Turner were told across the United States. It's a say, Nat Turner was obviously the famous, famous freedom fighter who did just that when he, yes. when he, when he, when he had a chance 
he did. He, 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 he visited. He visited retribution on white families. Yeah, white families. But but what was interesting is the way that story was told. Yeah, by the white establishment, as if to teach the the the, the lessons to the liberals. You want to give these people freedom. This is what their freedom looks like. And we're seeing this play out in the United States right now with if you if you look at the polls, Biden is ahead on every single indicator apart from law and order. Yeah. And that to me is absolutely gobsmacking because Donald Trump has supported militiamen. He said to the Proud Boys, stand back and, and stand by. He supported the guy in Wisconsin who killed, killed to um, Antifa Black Lives Matter protesters. He's done all these things. He said when the, when the, what is it, when the rioting starts, the shooting starts. And despite all that, with middle America, white America, they like it. They don't like the way he's responded to COVID-19. How could they? They've got the most deaths in the world, 220,000 people have died. But they like the way that he's willing to stand up against the, the, the rising threat of black radicalism and, 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 and Black Lives Matter. And and I think the only way that this can be kind of overcome is we kind of need a strong class analysis. Mm. We mentioned the Black Panther Party, and of course, Black Panther Party were all about pride in the black race and all this, but it was a, it was a class, the Rainbow Coalition. They were, they were unapologetically Marxist in yeah. their ideological um, foundations. Uh, and that's another issue that we need to address. This attempt to demonise Marxist ideas, and Trump is playing that Marxist card against Joe Biden, would you believe, and against Antifa and so on, um, because these ideas, as you know, are foundational. Mm. And they do translate, I mean, obviously they have to be adopted uh, according to the various specificities of where you're living, the, the, the realities of Cuba, the realities of Venezuela and so on. They have to be tailored to meet those realities. Uh, and, and the level of development that these societies are at when these ideas begin to be absorbed and, and utilised and understood. Uh, Hugo Chavez understood that. He understood that it had to merge cultural values, uh, indigenous cultural values predominantly in Venezuela, with Marxist ideas in order to arrive at a, an analysis that fit the reality that Venezuela and the challenges it was facing mm. at the time when he came to power in the late 1990s. Um, I mean... The the, the marginalisation of socialism um, was broken, you thought, in the context of the 2016 Democratic Party primary when Bernie Sanders first arrived on the scene and he was unapologetically describing himself as a democratic socialist, as mm. as was and as does Cornel West and as more and more people were, people in various positions of prominence, academics and so forth. And... That was the answer to the 2008 crash and everything that ensued after that in that 10-year period uh, when people saw their homes being foreclosed, people lost their jobs. Um, and it seems to me that Barack Obama came in and he kind of began the process of de-radicalising American society with by talking left but acting right. He still cozied up to Wall Street. He still cozied up to the corporations. He still gave tax breaks to the billionaires, etc. He passed out very few reforms. His Affordable Care Act still benefited the insurance companies. They still they were still central to healthcare in America. He never broke the back of that uh, that 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 stranglehold. And then Bernie Sanders came on the scene, and he was a breath of fresh air because he was talking about wealth redistribution, about the role of Wall Street. He was attacking the billionaires. He was he was pointing out Hillary Clinton's hypocrisy. 
because of the speaking fees that she was receiving from Wall Street institutions, the fact of the corruption that was un, that was that was unveiled uh, uh, in the course of her Clinton Foundation when they were taking donations from the Saudis and various other unsavoury regimes. But the Sanders moment for me now has passed. That moment's passed. Yeah. And I don't think I don't see where it's coming back. I think there needs to be an understanding of the double oppression suffered by black people on the basis of class and the basis of race. And mm. there needs to be a politics in which that double oppression sits at the apex. And there may well be a politics coming down the track. We don't know what's happening under the surface in America. A lot of interesting things happening in the course of the Black Lives Matter movement and that energy. Yeah. But I worry that if if all the energy of black people and black rappers and black artists and cultural icons and influencers who do have a lot of influence with, with people in black communities is focused on the Democratic Party, they're repeating the same mistake as they, as, as they made with, with Obama and then with Hillary Clinton. Yeah. And it will be oxygen for a further wave of right-wing populism. Might not be Trump, but by the way, his son is coming to the fore as a force on the American right-wing scene. Yeah. I mean, what... Bernie Sanders is partly responsible for that because, to me, one of the best presidential candidates that I've seen in my lifetime was Jill Stein for the Green Party with Amadou Barak as her running mate. Um, and what Bernie Sanders should have done when it was quite clear in 2016 that they were rigged by the Democratic Party establishment, was said, OK, we're going to continue this fight but the candidate that I endorse is Joe Stein, and that's the candidate that I want people to vote for. And what the only real way that you're... Because the United States, in many ways, in my eyes, is a two-party dictatorship. The only way that you're going to change that is by another party fracturing that, 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 that duplicity, the, the, um, the way that both parties continue to serve the military-industrial complex. Has Joe Biden said anything about redistributing the wealth, about not spending. I was just googling while I was on the while I'm on the line. Nine hundred and thirty-four billion pounds dollars, mm -hmm. sorry, spent in the U.S. military between 2020 and 2021. You, t you, it's such an easy argument to make that some of that money can be used to uplift the forgotten away communities in New Orleans, in Chicago, which people are, have have nicknamed Chirac because of the the levels of of inequality and poverty and violence. It's such an easy argument to make, yet no one's making it. It, is, it is logically, but it's not in terms of emotionally because the, the, the place that the American military commands in American society is so vaunted, so sacred, that no president would dare talk about uh, reducing the military budget because that's seen as um, betraying the troops and all the wars and so on. And that's another topic that we'll get into another time. Ahmed, it's been a very, very wonderful uh, and enlightening conversation. Um, uh, I think we could go on for hours, but obviously we can't. But uh, one thing we can say is whoever wins this election, uh, black America, brown America and white America in terms of its working class loses. As for the world, I don't know if this makes any difference because I think we're in a period of interregnum between the dying of the old and the coming into being of the new vis-a-vis -vis the tectonic plates of geopolitical power and influence. I welcome China's arrival on the scene as an alternate uh, developmental model to the US and I welcome the decline of the West because in the words of the song in praise of James Connolly, the great Irish rebel leader, their crimes would shame all the devils in hell. 
You've been listening to me, John White, with Ahmed Caballo. Until next time, stay solid. <laughs>